Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today we're going to do a little bit of an Eastern Conference playoff recap of sorts. We talked about Cavs, Raptors. We also talked about Wizards and Celtics. And for that, we welcomed on SB Nation's own Paul Flannery. Paul's more of the Celtics persuasion, but we just had him up north. And he was uh, covering that Toronto Raptors uh, Cavs series. So we dive into that. Mike gets into his Wizards, obviously. It's always nice to continue to have people who like the Celtics talking to Mike, who obviously cares a little bit about those Wizards. But before we listen to this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. We love the feedback. Give us those comments, uh, questions. They're all always greatly appreciated. Uh, And you can send those questions to us uh, via email. That's MikePreda at SBNation.com. You can also go to Twitter. Hit us up with questions at at MikePredaSBN, at Limited underscore Upside, and at EpiBen. And if you like this podcast, you'll probably like Paul's podcast too. That's the Drive and Kick podcast. So go subscribe, download, all those good things for that as well. Uh, And uh, sit back and enjoy this, uh, I don't know, second round of the Eastern Conference Playoffs edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. Limited Upside Podcast. Mike Prada here, Ben Epstein here. Uh, we have a special guest. We, we apologize for not doing one this week, so we decided to bring in the big guns for this podcast. It's Paul Flannery, fresh from a trip back from Toronto. How you doing? I just got back from running through the six, making through customs. Yeah, I'm doing well, guys. <laughs> made it back from the north. That's good. I made it back from the north. You literally ran through the six, too. You had your running trip as well. I so. did. Yeah, I got, got a nice little eight-miler in yesterday and uh, on <laughs> Sunday, and I saw some Mounties. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> and there were bagpipers. Yeah, it was great. That, the, the Toronto Marathon was actually going on yesterday, which was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so I got a nice run in. I love Toronto. It's an awesome city. If you've, if anyone has never been there that is thinking about going, they should totally do it. It's a great city. Nice. I have never been to Toronto, but I'm a big fan of Canada in general. Uh, and if Montreal ever got a team, I, I'd be in full support of that as well. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> with, with that being said, let's talk about the series that you just left. Um, it's over. There's nothing else to see. No more games to be played. Luckily for the Raptors, uh, they don't have to play the Cavs another, another time. Uh, but with that being said, before we talk about the series that just was, because there's plenty to get into, I think the hot topic, the hot button topic, I should say, right now today is where do we go from here with that city you just left? The Raptors are a beloved team. Some of the players involved with this team are, are more synonymous with the franchise than anybody in the history of the team, uh, aside from maybe Vince Carter. So with that being said, with some big decisions to make this summer, where does this Raptors team go? Do you blow it up, or, or, or do we keep going with what we have, Paul? So here's the thing. that This series is over before it even started, and, <laughs> and that's a problem. Like, I, it was definitely over when Lowry got hurt. When Kyle Lowry got hurt, they had sure. – they, you know, they, they, they tried. Give it, give it to them. They tried. But they, they really – you know, they couldn't, they couldn't hang with Cleveland without Kyle Lowry. They couldn't hang with Cleveland with Kyle Lowry. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Blow it up, and then what? <laughs> like, well, that's, that, always, that's always the question. Right. And then what? So – if by blow it up, we need to be very specific about specific about what we mean. 
blow it up means don't resign Kyle Lowry. It means basically um, not giving Kyle Lowry a fifth year, trying to get him on a four year deal, say whatever. And, you know, and if he box, then you say, all right, well, we tried like what the Hawks did with Al Horford, right? Mm-hmm. We tried. Uh, blowing it up means Patrick Patterson is gone, which I think he probably is. It means PJ Tucker is gone. It means that uh, Serge Ibaka, maybe gone. Um, it means probably firing the coach, Dwayne Casey. And then it means trying to trade DeMar DeRozan. That's blowing it up. It's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but the, the alternative is re-sign Kyle Lowry for that fifth year, re-sign Serge Ibaka for, what, $20 million a year, let's yeah, say, maybe something like that. Maybe re-sign one of the other people, and suddenly you've got uh, payroll over the luxury tax for a team that just got swept by your the team you have to beat to right. get to where you want to be. Right. So, you're right. There's not a lot of great <laughs> options here. I mean, so one thing they could do is they could kind of play it down the middle, right? They could... You know, they could let Lowry walk, re-sign Ibaka, you know, Patterson. I think Patterson's gone. Probably um, maybe change the coach, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and, you know, bring back Tucker, say, and then just develop these guys that they have. They've drafted over the years guys like DeLon Wright and Jakob Pertl and uh, Bruno. Maybe maybe Bruno <laughs> could be something. Bebe, you know, they, they've drafted all these guys. Norm Powell, I think everybody loves Norm Powell. And so you kind of have this shadow team that's been operating for a few years, but you allow them to transition into larger roles because, uh, you know, you keep DeRozan around, whatever. And, you know, you kind of like play this middle ground here. And then here's what we know about Masai Ujiri. He is not afraid to trade people. So he traded, you know, he re-signed Nene and he traded him. That's that was his history. Um and so I think, you know, even if he re-signs Ibaka, even if he re-signs Lowry, there's no reason that he can't trade these guys down the road, right? But once they leave, they're gone, and you're not getting anything back for them. If it were me, I would prioritize Lowry because I think he's just – he's a phenomenal player. They are – he's very – he'll be very hard to replace. I would let Ibaka walk and take the, take the loss. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would too. Now, they're not going to do that though. Yeah. See, my big question about all this is that all of this that we're talking about, we knew when they made those trade deadline deals. Like we knew this was going to be the situation staring them down the face. And it was all going to be justified if they could do better against Cleveland than they did the year before. And now they just got swept and they weren't competitive. So based on – I mean you were just there. Like what – do you think that this result really changes their plan significantly one way or the other based on what you've kind of – gotten from the vibe around Toronto? I think it has to. I think a couple of things. One, so if Kyle Lowry doesn't get hurt after the All-Star game or before the All-Star game or whatever it was that he got hurt, then Toronto probably gets home court advantage in the playoffs, right? They win 51 games. The Celtics won 53, I think. And they they played really well without Lowry. But they would have – I'm going to go out on a limb and say they would have won at least one more game than they did and they would have had home court against Cleveland. Whether that would have mattered or not, I don't know. But maybe they could have They could have worked it so they weren't in their side. And maybe they get to a conference final for the second straight year. Does that change the calculus? Does it change the calculus if they win a game? Does it change the calculus if they push it to six? Regardless, they're not better than Cleveland. And there's not really ind- any indication that they're going to be better than Cleveland. So they're a little bit of a victim of circumstance, but also they were a victim of just the fact that they're just not as good. So does it change things? I think it has to. I think – and it stinks. I, I hate I, – I love Dwayne Casey, but 
I think that's probably that's probably one way you can go. You can say, all right, Casey took us as far as you can go now. We need a new coach. If nothing else, you can. I don't think you can bring everything back, right? Including mm-hmm. the coach, including Lowry, the coach, and Ibaka. I, I just think that's probably not going to happen. You have to have a selling point to your your fan base that's like we realize we've hit a wall. And they're cynical, you know. Like yeah, we yeah. love Canada and they're they're awesome people, but they are when it comes to the Raptors, they are definitely cynical. Well, uh, they're cynical and also that yeah. but the other flip side of that is that that team has gone places that no Raptors team has ever gone before, which is I mean the other enough. side of it. It's still better than anything they've done, you know. I'm not, I think yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, and I think teams, I think fan, not teams. I think teams appreciate what they've done. I think fan bases don't appreciate it, honestly, in the moment. Like, oh, geez, like this is all you got? Come on, you know. Um, I see it in Boston. We'll talk about that series later. But like, you know, the Celtics team has achieved ex- pretty much what everybody wanted them to achieve or thought they could achieve, and it's people are like, yeah, but it's not really a contender. You know, it's like just enjoy what you got. You know, yeah, I feel like I feel like that's called the Atlanta Hawks paradox. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> is it good to be in the playoffs for you know twenty straight years or, or whatever it is, you know, fifteen out of eighteen, but with never really a team that's going to contend for a title? And that's ultimately what Toronto has to ask themselves. What every team in the East has to ask themselves is how does your window match up with what you're trying to achieve, which is be better than Cleveland. And, and that's not an answer you can really get to for any of these teams. That goes for Boston, whose window is larger because of the net situation. That goes for Toronto's, whose window is is very much this offseason to make that decision because the principal players we just talked about. Um, let's dive a little bit into what you actually saw, more of the actual games that you were in attendance for, because both the games in Toronto were were pretty interesting. Um, this, were they? <laughs> yeah, well, this past game this past game was interesting. Only, well, look, you got to take something out of a sweep, Mike. Got love you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying here, guys. We we have done almost nothing on this, candidly, on this podcast, uh, Paul. We have done almost nothing on this series. I mean, it was a four-game sweep. And, you know, yeah, so the yeah. first two games weren't close. No. Uh, um, the first game, I guess, was cosmetically close, but it wasn't close. Game two wasn't close. Game two was a blowout. Game three was close for three quarters until it wasn't. <laughs> and then game four, you know, look, I give Toronto a lot of credit, but here's the problem that you have when you play Cleveland. So uh, you've got a lot of problems right now. This the, this series was not about Toronto at all and their inability to beat them. It was all about Cleveland playing up to their potential. Mm-hmm. And you can play Cleveland tough and straight and competitive for 18 minutes. And then Corver comes in the game and bombs three threes and Channing Fry is another one. You're down 10. Yep. And that can happen at any moment during the game. So you better have a lead on them and you better be prepared for that. And then you better be able to counter and Toronto couldn't counter because they didn't have enough three point shooting. I mean, what they got outscored by, I, I forget, I don't even know what the final total went up being, but it was a lot. They got destroyed at the, on the three point line um, and the free throw line. And so when you have Corver out there and chanting fry, LeBron's just like, he's just picking people apart. The other, the other thing that was happening here was because they're making every single shot and they're getting rebounds. There's no transition to be had. This is where Cleveland really struggled during the regular season. They, you know, they, they were get, they're putting up bad shots, and then they're giving up boards, and they were not getting back on defense, and they're getting ab- they're getting abused. Well, guess what? There's not been any transition. I don't know if their transition defense is any better because there weren't any transition opportunities to be had, and so they've really cleaned that up. And then the final thing that they've done is they held back. A lot of their defensive stuff until the playoffs, which was pretty smart, I guess. Um, <laughs> but they just, you know, they gave Cleveland, or I'm sorry, they gave DeRozan three or four different looks. And DeRozan had his moments. 
But, you know, they made him play in an elevator, basically, and they blitzed him and they trapped him and they held back and they switched with Tristan Thompson and they did all this other kind of stuff. And I talked we, we all talked to Ty Lue about it, but I talked to him a little bit like when you have a guy like Tristan Thompson, you can do that kind of thing. But basically, when you have a guy like LeBron, you can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing that that's, that's it. By the way. I've never heard that phrase, by the way, made him play in an elevator. I love that. That's good. Is that a th- is that did you make that up or is that like a thing I'm that sure people I heard use? That from like Doc or Thibodeau or somebody like that. I feel like, I feel like QB Brown may have uh, said that. Yeah. You know, in a, in a question to himself, he answered it with he played in an elevator. Yeah. I mean, what, what it looked like to me is like Cleveland really exposed that Toronto is just a bad decision making team. They take too long to figure out what they want to yeah. do. And Milwaukee exposed it and Cleveland exposed it more. You know, you, they trapped and they didn't rotate the ball fast enough. And that's the problem with Toronto. Right. But what they did was, what they did was, and it could have been anything, right? They honed in on Toronto's weakness and exploited it. And that's what you want a playoff team to do, right? That's exactly yep. what you want. And I don't know, you know, I know we're going to get in the Celtics Wizards thing a little bit. Um, I don't know who they're going to get, but. You know, they're working on stuff to use against Golden State. Like, I don't know if they can use those same kind of things against Golden State because Golden State's got better shooters and better passers and better decision makers and everything else. But they did what they needed to do in that specific series to destroy that specific team. And frankly, I'm not sure that any of us could have said that they could have done that before the playoffs started. And maybe they didn't know it either. I mean, they can say they did. But, you know, until you show it, it's kind of it's it's hard to it's hard to buy into it. Oh, oh, Ben knew. Yeah, I had, uh, I had <laughs> Cleveland in the sweep in that series. So. No, you didn't. No, four, I said four you said or five. five games. I said four no, or five. You said, come on, yeah, come but, on, uh, five games. Let's not get particular. But I did say it was going to be kind of a, a walkover uh, in a similar sense to what the series ended up uh, being. I, I guess, I guess a few things to note. Right, if LeBron doesn't have one of the best shooting series of his career. Do they blow him out in every game? And then the second question I have for you here, uh, Paul, is do you think that this this Raptors team, as it's currently comprised, would have beaten either the Wizards or the Celtics had they gotten in a different position, like you'd mentioned, with maybe a healthier Lowry during the season? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I don't know that they would have, but right. I mean, they gave the Celtics – they've given the Celtics fits for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. DeRo- DeRo- See, now DeRozan is a difficult matchup for the Celtics because – the size thing. And, right. you know, at some point they have to make choices. And then where do you put Isaiah Thomas against that team? Right. Um, but, you know, I, I don't Mike, you would know better than I about how they matched up against the Wizards. But, yeah, I don't think there's a lot to separate the Wizards, the Raptors, the Celtics. Yeah. You know, they've all got star guards that, um, you know, the Wizards and the Raptors obviously have uh, better complementary guards. But, you know, they got they got front lines. They got, you know, they got all this stuff. Like, I mean, they're they're all good teams. They're all 50 win right. teams. They're just not any better than they're just not in Cleveland's class. Yeah, right. But there is a difference, I think, between those three teams. The two of them have young cores. The Wizards, their their best players are twenty six and twenty three. Uh, the Celtics' best players are a bunch of draft picks, and Isaiah <laughs> Thomas. The Raptors' best players are thirty one and what is DeRozan now twenty eight. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you're right. That's the thing I worry about with them. Yeah, of course. In terms of, I'm I'm talking about like right now in the moment. Yeah, I don't think right. there's a lot to separate those those three teams. I mean, for the long run, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Agreed. I tend to agree with that uh, as well. Um, I guess we already kind of hit on what Tim uh, Cato had written about, which was the uh, Raptors' 76 million they have locked up in salary next season, the Lowry decision, the Ibaka decision. Anything else on this series? Because obviously we have the advantage here of having Paul and, and Mike. I want to talk a little bit about the Wizards and Celtics. Is there anything else you want to touch on in this series, Mike? I mean, I just I think it, Toronto's really in a tough spot, and 
the thing I always think about is that this Raptors team was kind of an accident. You know, if James Dolan throws in the 2018 <laughs> first-round pick, Kyle Lowry is somewhere else. Yeah. So we've said that for all along. That like, Does that mean that they're just not wedded to this team? Masai is not wedded to them because he didn't like him originally. And I don't know. This summer is going to be a real test because if you go like with a half measure, like I just – I think you're kind of guaranteeing yourself a few years of, you know, sub what your level is right now. You know, even if, like, I agree that it, with the Baca, it looks like he's declining fast, and that's not a contract I would be comfortable paying as much as I like the guy. Uh, but, like, let's say you bring some of the core back, but not all of it. Like, where, I don't know if that really helps you much either, but then again, blowing it up is A, hard, and B, would vaporize the best Raptors team of most of these fans' lifetime. So <laughs> I I just don't know what I think that they were hoping to do if they had said like, okay, we competed with Cleveland and we were close, like that might justify bringing the band back together. But the fact that they got swept, I think, really makes it tough. And now there's a lot of rumblings that Lowry's gonna want to even doesn't want to stay necessarily. Uh we'll see about He's that. He's such a but cheery I, guy. He's such a cheery guy. I mean, and, and if I'm Kyle Lowry, like, I, I'm not taking any discount, man. This is the first time in my career I'm going to get paid the big money. Yeah. And good for him, dude. He's 31 years old. I would I would absolutely hold out. And if that means going back to Philly for gobs of dough, then fine. If that means, sign, if that means signing up with Brooklyn, fine. Whatever. Like, this is, you know, uh, legacies and championships and all that stuff are great. But, you know, they don't put food on the table. Um, and so – but the other thing that whenever we talk about any franchise, you really you have to understand the franchise dynamics. And the Toronto one is fascinating because they're owned by Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, which owns the hockey team and the arena and I'm sure gobs of other things. But, you know, Masai runs the basketball show. He has bosses, but he pretty much runs the basketball show. They are far more interested in what the Maple Leafs are doing. And Toronto, from from the limited amount of hockey that I follow, I, I know that they have finally they have finally gone full on rebuild, smart, you know, t- uh, build it from the ground up after years of of trying for the quick fix of being the Knicks of the NHL, basically. Yep. And so, whatever Masai wants to do, he's probably going to be able to do it. But if it takes longer than they think, then you start to trade on that goodwill capital because right now. The Raptors are, you know, they, they 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 get good crowds. They win fifty games. They get playoff gates. You know, maybe they're not going to win a championship, but that's still a pretty profitable team they got there. Yeah. So and you know, so it, what all I'm saying is that Masai is in the position now where he can do pretty much whatever he wants to do, but they better have a strong direction, which is why I don't think you can go half measure. I don't think you can half blow it up or half bring it back or whatever. Like you're, you know, you're either going for it or, or you're going for it in the other direction. So I think that will be, that'll be pretty interesting. Um, and you know, just my last thought on this is that I I just want somebody to give Cleveland a game. Can can (laughs) someone play them tough for 48 minutes and like, you know, push them? I know Indiana did a couple of times, but can somebody do that for a couple of games even? Is that too much to ask? It shouldn't be too much to ask. Do you have a sense of who they might prefer? I think they'd roll. I think they feel they feel like they would roll over the Celtics. I think Wall and Beal have their attention. 
That's right. <laughs> That's... No, I mean, you look at the regular season. They played that great game at yeah. D.C. They crushed them in Cleveland. Like, I mean, I, I think that's probably accurate. So yeah. that's as good a time as any to talk about the series that we both know very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get to uh, the only uh, – well, I guess there's two 2-2 two, two series now. Two 2-2 two, two series. Uh, but the only uh, good series in the East uh, we've had this entire playoff uh, or some values to behind it that I want to talk to you guys about. Let's get into the Wizards and Celtics. Um, last night had a 26-0 run. I've never seen anything like that uh, uh, in a professional basketball game. You see that in AAU sometimes when one team can't get past half court or in high school where there's a big school versus a little school, not necessarily in uh, the second round of the NBA playoffs. So with that being said... I want to get into last night's game and then the series uh, as a whole because this has been a fascinating series. Uh, Mike, you had a great question. I heard it on SportsCenter. Uh, kudos to you for getting your, your voice heard on that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> which, uh, which was just like a ray of sunshine hearing that at like 11 o'clock at night or whatever. But you asked Isaiah about the personality clash, kind of the chippiness. And I, I think that that's playing out really well. But the, uh, the part of that which is fascinating to me is was Isaiah's post-game press conferences last night. And this is what I want to ask Paul about first here. It feels to me like the way that the refs provide uh, the physicality to the game, the lens with which they referee the games, and just via Isaiah is the biggest change in the series which, uh, from the home to home, which was in Boston to, uh, to D.C. Do you, do you think that the way that Isaiah was uh, refereed was what ultimately was the biggest difference, or is it the ultimate, ultimately the game plan and the different looks that the Wizards threw at him, maybe not switching as like much? It was like a big point turnaround. Are you saying it was no, a lot no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying that <laughs> Isaiah is a guy who averages a lot of free throws a game. It's a big part of his offensive repertoire. It's a big part of the, the, the Celtics offense in general is getting him looks coming to the basket, curls, etc., there was none of that. He shot zero free throws for the second time in this playoffs. I think it was game three against the Bulls as well. So talk to me about if uh, Paul, if Isaiah was right about his post-game press conferences, if you're noticing the same thing. Do you think there's going to be a turn, the knee-jerk, that the refs will ref it uh, even more closely in, in game five? Tell me about everything you see through the lens of Isaiah and how that pertains to the success of the Celtics in this series. So... Well, here's what I saw yesterday during the Celtics Wizards game: a <laughs> long ass security line um, trying to get into a very tiny regional airport called Billy Bishop. And then once I got through the uh, long ass security line at Billy Bishop into the Porter Airlines lounge, which is delightful, there were no televisions. So I saw exactly zero <laughs> seconds of that game, and I had no real feel for how he was officiated. But I will say this: I will say this. <laughs> Um, he's been pissed about the officiating for a while and not just in this series, but in general. And Isaiah is a weird player if you watch him closely because he's totally fearless going to the basket. And I think that fearlessness kind of plays against him a little bit. Hmm. You would think being five foot seven, getting banged around that he'd get, he'd get calls. And I'm sure some people, you know, if they're not rooting for the Celtics, throw their hands up like, Oh my God, how'd he get that call? But yeah, <laughs> but he gets thrown around like a rag doll and doesn't get calls too. So he gets, he's been pissed off for a while now. Um, now how he was officiating game four, I don't know, but he's a smart guy and he made a big deal about it and maybe he gets fined. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, that that's how the playoffs work. That's what, this is what you do in with your post game podium time is you make a play for yep. the next game and if he's not getting to the free throw line nobody's getting to the free throw line for that Celtics team <laughs> well, well, because they don't have anybody else who can create a shot that is the problem yeah. right there for them is that it's not how he's officiating it's funny hearing this because a lot of Wizards fans were saying the same thing yeah. the other direction about Isaiah after game two no team has ever committed a foul and it's no true. team's players ever officiated fairly. That's just that's <laughs> those are the rules. Listen, if you ask the Cavs, 
they will tell you that LeBron, no, no one gets fouled more than LeBron. He took <laughs> 17 free throws at game four and he never commits a foul. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Fact, John, yeah, he's he's not. They don't officiate him fairly. Okay. <laughs> I believe Wall actually compared himself to LeBron at one point while I was there, saying that he's like LeBron that he's so big and strong that players bounce off him and it doesn't look like a foul. Whereas with Isaiah, because he's a little guy, it's easy to tell when it's a foul. He so. initiates contact more than a lot of other people do because he does it for a leverage game. He, right. he initiates contact basically when he, he will drive right into a big man to knock him off his balance. And he's awesome at it. He's been doing it since he was 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, he's really, really good at it. Um, but, you know, he's a great player. This is what great players do. Like I, And so part of me is like, you know, I hate talking about the officiating because it's like it's a definite part of the game. But like, dude, this is what great players do. And so, you know, fans get pissed off and whatever, but like, you know, sorry, like that's, this is the game. The game is getting to the line. The game is getting calls. The game is getting the other team in foul trouble. Like that's what it's all about. Well, and, and some types of game travel better, right? Like if you're someone like Isaiah, whose game is predicated upon, like you said, he does the, the big man climb, I call it, right? He jumps into the top of your chest. So you're never going to go fully elevated to block him. He, he's My three incro- year old is the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Something to look into. Call him for yeah. fouls. Left-handed or no? No, no fouls. No yeah. blood. No right. foul with him. So, <laughs> so Isaiah does that. You know, he's a thicker body. He jumps into you. You can't jump up, and he's you know able to create separation. He's got great spins, etc. The the way that he was officiated, though, that I'm I'm more specifically talking about, though, is the way that he was getting his looks in the first two games, and this is probably. Uh, more tactical than even officiating, but you know uh, the curls that they run, the ability to hold him a little longer around a screen, the ability to bump him a little bit extra. In essence, what the Cavs did to Steph Curry in the finals last year, be physical with him every moment that he doesn't have the ball because you can't be as physical when he does have the ball. They'll call a foul. And so what that does, though, obviously you saw far less, you know, Gortat switches out on an island or Morris switches out on an island because guys are able to get above their screens. So Prater, you talk to me, man. Tactically, what did the Wizards change when they came home? Well, I think that's a big part of it. They talked a lot about how they weren't tough enough, which is sort of their MO whenever things are struggling. But they they walked the walk. Like you said, they they were much more physical with them off the ball. They were much harder with their traps on the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they were able to sort of stop Isaiah from getting started. Once he kind of gets moving, it's Mm -hmm. really tough. But they they prevented him from doing that. They also really took away a lot of his pull-up threes. I think it's, you know, with the exception of the first half of game four, they really didn't let him kind of shoot off the catch. You know, they kind of almost made him drive, and then they really swarmed off the other dudes. And this is the problem that Boston has to deal with, and this is why I think Isaiah was so outspoken about it, because if he is drawing fouls, I mean, that's a 90, that's a 70% of their offense right there. And if he's not drawing fouls, and he's, too, he's a little small to be able to look over and find other players, and those other players aren't knocking down shots right now, although I guess they shot well in game in game four from three. Yeah. Uh, but the Wizards don't really respect those other guys. They, they're swarming stats, to him. The stats As, were skewed, too, in game four. A lot of a lot of the you know threes came from Gerald Green with down no, not 20. In game, not in game four. <laughs> no, game four. Like, he hit three threes in the fourth quarter down yeah, 20. That's yeah, that's true. Okay. They, yeah, so it's actually really important for them to function that Isaiah is drawing fouls. So whether it's true or not, they need to create that illusion in order – to actually function as an offense. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what that kind of led to me. Because he, he was complaining a little bit after Game 3 as well, though I think more so in the sense of general physical play and the roughhousing that happened in Game 3. I mean, he was, he's been annoyed with the officiating since the Bulls series. 
Like, I mean, that's just, but that's Isaiah. <laughs> like, right, I mean, right, right. It's just, that's, that's just what he does. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, and I, you know, here's the thing. Nobody has proven anything to me in this series, honestly. Like, I expected, you know, the Wizards to play really, really well at home. And it does not shock me at all that they won two games. I guess it would surprise me that they won two in blowouts. Especially the way Game Four, as people tell me, um, as as Game Four transpired, but um, you know, okay, do it on the road. Yeah. Well, they almost did, and they I almost think they did, be- but they did. They believe, yeah, they believe they gave away Game Two. They probably did, but that's but but this is my issue. This is my issue, Mike. Is that prove it? Like I don't trust them yet. I don't. I know. I, I think the Celtics have got a their ceiling. They're hitting their heads on it. But I don't like I, I want the Wizards. I want to trust them. Like, show me, guys, please let me let me let me love you the way I want to. <laughs> you could also just jump in on the ground floor. And, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, no, they, nah. they, they have to win. They have to win game five. I think they can. I think they, if you look at sort of how these two four games have played out, like, yeah, they got beat in the road both times. But both of those games were more competitive than the home games. But yes, also, like you said, they are a home team. And they have to win on the road in order to win this series. So, I mean, that's the problem. They might, I think they might rue that game too because they really should have had that game. And that would have changed the series tremendously. Yeah. But also, the flip side is maybe they don't have the same resounding wins in DC if they don't, you know, lose game two the way they did. Maybe Bradley Beal doesn't play the same type of defense and hit the same type of shots he does in game three and four if he doesn't play so terribly and have that wake-up call that, you know, he is, in essence, incredibly important for them to win this series. In game two, he was was one of the worst games he's played all season. Yeah. Now, switching gears a little bit, like, Paul, I I wrote about this after game three because it struck me, like, why do you think these two teams don't like each other? I think they're just very similar. Um, I think, like, you know, Crowder and and Marquis are cut from the same cloth. Um, and you know, I mean, I don't know, like the NBA, man, I've been around it for 20 years. You'd be amazed at the random reasons why guys don't like each other, you know, (laughs) and like, you'd also be amazed at the random friendships that are, that are had throughout, throughout basketball. Why don't they like each other? I don't know. I mean, you know, they've been competitive with each other, whatever. Why does this series kind of like veer over the edge where the Celtics and the Raptors who get into it quite a bit, like that hasn't happened. Very mm-hmm. often, right? I don't know. Um, I think the personality is involved. I think you know Isaiah and Wall are both trying to prove something. I think Bradley Beal is trying to prove something. I think the the Wizards' strength, which is their backcourt, plays into the Celtics' strength, which is backcourt defense. You know, so that's going to get competitive and chippy. And like I said, Crowder and Morris, and you know, I, I honestly like I was surprised that Ubre was the first guy to snap. <laughs> um, you know, I would have bet money on Marcus. I but, wasn't, I but wasn't he's surprised. been Marcus has been. Marcus has been good in what he does, which is to be a pain in the ass without losing his own cool. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got a little bit of that nutso in his like a twinkle in his eye. Oh, a little just, bit. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> so that that alone helps to be the deterrent because there where there might be a confrontation and then all of a sudden, like, I don't know, Horford sees that twinkle and is like, nah, we'll just take the ball out of bounds. Let's go go Maybe. from here. <laughs> I, my theory is that the Wizards are kind of a, a trash-talking team. Like, they're one of the loudest trash-talking teams in the league. <laughs> they take pride in their ability. I mean, their slogan is Death Row DC. <laughs> you know, like, that's, like, kind of how they play. And Boston is kind of one of those teams that I think they get a little defensive a lot because they've all been counted out. So they, they take pride in sort of absorbing punches and fighting back. Yeah, but let's not let's not let's not let's not turn them into like remember the Titans either. Like Isaiah talks <laughs> as much as anybody. 
You know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the one guy who doesn't is Avery. Avery never talks. Um, he prides himself on not talking. And like when <laughs> he was so funny when he like his version of trash talk is like, I think Jimmy Butler disrespected me <laughs> and I didn't appreciate it. You know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, Marcus obviously is an agitator and Crowder Crowder runs his mouth, too, and stuff like that. So, I mean, like the Celtics are a bunch of choir boys either. Right. You know, clearly. Um, so, yeah, no, you know, it's it's fun. It's fun. I still think it's going seven. Yeah, same, same. And I, I guess there's one more question I have here. Is, is how much of the ability to possibly have the number one pick who might be a guard, as we just talked about all these players we just mentioned. I mean, we haven't even talked about Terry Rozier has been a pleasant surprise for the Celtics these playoffs. Um, how much of the, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this, but is that looming factor of like that the actual franchise guard for this team could be drafted and therefore these guys and Isaiah playing for uh, his you know, first part. They don't think you don't think so? No, okay. I know I know they don't think about it. Because good, anytime good. anybody tries to answer ask about <laughs> it, they will uh they will snap back. Like Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think you'd you'd find that almost almost any team. I mean, yeah. you know, it was interesting, if you guys remember that Jay Crowder thing with Hayward. Yes. Uh, yep. So the reason Jay Crowder first of all, I I don't want to go back in this whole thing because it blew up and took on a life of its own. There was very faint cheering for Gordon Hayward. It was not like the place was like, you know, serenading him like, please come, please come to Boston. Uh, it wasn't Willis Reed coming nah, back. Uh, no, nah. yeah. Crowder took great offense. The reason Crowder took great offense is because Gordon Hayward would be his replacement. Right. That's right. why he got pissed off. And so if you, you know, like here's a, here's an idea. Ask Isaiah Thomas about Markel Fultz. See how that goes. That's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, yeah. So to a point, yes. But the other point of this is those guys are like, what do I care about a 19 year old? Like sure. I'm an all-star man. I'm a two time all-star. I'm an all NBA player. And I'm worried about a 19 year old. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's their attitude. So while all this stuff is kind of fun to talk about, you know, from our perspective, from their perspective, they're like, whatever with that. Well, they've also been dealing with for a couple of years. That's it's right. not like it's any mystery. How many draft picks the Celtics have coming That's up? <laughs> like, They've kind of known, and Isaiah has beaten out a lot of people that were supposed to be better than him. Oh, so yeah, that's just, a, just another dude on the list. No doubt, it is. It is interesting from a franchise building standpoint, um, but I don't. I don't think it's going to affect them. But it, it is sort of a fascinating it, franchise question. Yeah, when the lottery happens on Tuesday, we can revisit this conversation because that will be that will be the deciding factor. I believe. I think if they get, I think if they get a top, say they get a top four or five pick. Well, I think well, they're guaranteed a top four pick. Okay, yeah. let's say they get a top four pick. I think there's a guy they like there that could slide in and everything would be hunky-dory. They just have another high pick, right? Mm-hmm. I think if they get the top pick, there's somebody that they like better than anybody else. And then we have some interesting decisions. Let's say they get the second pick. They're trading it. This is my impression. I mean, I think – and I think that they will try to make a big trade for Paul George or Jimmy Butler and maybe both. Wow. Both. I, no, called I, mean, that, certain... I called that four months ago. I, I, I feel it in my bones. It's, t- it's been 10 years since the KG and Ray trades, and it's a different era and all that, but they have enough to get both. Yeah. No, they, they do. They are uniquely situated, and Danny Ainge, I, I'm sure, will not be sitting on his hands this, this offseason. It's a critical juncture. Danny does what Danny does. Yeah, yeah. Would they, would they trade for Paul George knowing that he wants to go to L.A.? They would, they would um, almost certainly demand an extension. Yeah. Yeah, that I guess that's right. the question. This is what uh, they do. He do and, you know, I've heard people say, like, I, I was having uh, lunch with somebody in Toronto the other day, and they're like, man, but you're the Celtics. Like, you're winning 50 games. He ain't going anywhere. 
like just do the deal. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But that they're still going to do that. And the reason they're going to do that is because it's a leverage play. Right. 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 Um, as long as they have the leverage, then they will use it. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that was, that was a part of the holdup with KG that took into like August, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't agree to an extension until then. Um, so I think they would probably do the same thing. Jimmy's easier, obviously, but they've gone down that road with Chicago a number of times and something's always gone wrong. So there may be a little bit of bad blood. I don't know. I mean, my hunch is, is that is they will be in a play for both of those guys. Honestly, let me ask you a quick question. Um, about you, you wrote, uh, wrote an article about the inevitability of uh, LeBron, and I love the the title because that's always how I felt. Did you feel that way going into these playoffs, or is that something how you started to feel as they swept the Pacers and as the the tea leaves were starting to be uh, presented here for the the Raptors series? I'll, t- I'll tell you a little story, Ben uh, and Mike. You may remember this. <laughs> Zilla and I were thinking about headlines for this, and that came up, and I was like, I think it was uh, four years ago when I wrote a piece about LeBron when they played the Pacers that had that headline. And, <laughs> oh yeah. And that's Joy right. went back and looked, he goes four years to the day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man. Wow. So, um, look, I, you know, I, I came, I, I covered the league back in the late nineties and early aughts. And then I came back to it in 08 and LeBron, as long as I've been around, LeBron is the thing you have got to deal with him and no one has been able to do it. Um, uh, teams have done it in the finals, but no one has really been able to do it in the East since the Celtics did it back in 2010. So yeah, the dude's inevitable. I didn't think there was any chance Cleveland wasn't winning the East unless <laughs> they had injuries, but I didn't think they were going to go, you know, if they're looking at a faux, faux, faux to get back to the finals. I didn't <laughs> think they were going to do that. And not only that, I didn't think they played very well against the Pacers. I thought they played exceptionally well against Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You could tell they had to, you know, take their level up a notch there. Um, interesting though, because I've, you know, I've always kind of felt the same way. I have these discussions with my friends all the time. You, you want to put the team up on a pedestal who you could, you know, think to provide the opposition to the Cavs in the East, and then ultimately when you see it play out, it always just goes in the same, the same kind of ebb and flow. Um, I don't know. I guess the one thing that I've noted, and it seems so obvious, is that like Kyle Korver is sort of a kindred basketball spirit. For LeBron, they, they they meet at this apex of basketball IQ that's like very, very unique in the NBA. There's only a few guys who understand the complexities of the game, the spacing, passing, etc. so well. Corver's like that nurse fish that sits on the back of that great white and is always getting the best amount of algae. There's the analogy for you. Man, because a good one. Like because, Damn. Thank you. Because he honestly, the way that he's finding the little grooves when they put that second unit out with Williams and Fry, and then LeBron comes in there and just kind of finds the open guy, they're all good shooters. But some of them move a little better than others. And Corver just has this amazing ability to find the right space with his feet set and his hands ready. Corver's awesome. awesome. Um, he really works really hard at his game. And um, yeah. he's, he's a delightful guy to talk to, too. He was saying after game three, he was like, yeah, it was nice to feel like a basketball player again <laughs> because they had him on the move and they called some stuff for him. And it's been an adjustment for him. Like they're not putting him in the same situation the Hawks did where they, mm-hmm. you know, like half the Hawks offense was Corver running around screens all day long to create space. They don't need to do that. And so and. Like Channing Fry is like this awesome pick and pop partner with LeBron, right? Because he's 6'11. Just pick, you know, pop behind the three point line, throw it to him, he'll catch, he'll fire. You know, it's unfair. Corver's different. But what Corver's really good at is, like you say, he can move with the defense. He can yep. he can adjust his body positioning and still catch the ball in perfect position and still get it up. And when he gets it up, like it's probably going in. Um, and, you know, he's not as 
bad a defensive player as people would tend to think of a sort of a white three point specialist would be. Um, yeah. He's he's actually pretty good defensively. He had a couple of blocks in that series. He's perfect for playing with LeBron. And I wonder yeah. if this is going to start a sort of – and it's already been happening between Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye, now Darren Williams. But, you know, if like guys in there – like like LeBron is almost like a one-man Spurs. Yep. We're like – it's not just dudes chasing a ring. It's dudes who know how to play who want to play with him. Yeah. And I wonder if that is going to be a trend here as he as he moves along. I, I couldn't agree more. It's a lot of ways. It's what Ray Allen kind of fulfilled, uh, you know, the role he was with the heat. It's very similar to what all of these guys are encompassing for. Battier too. Yep. That's right. Battier, Battier, did this. That's right. Ray was doing it for, to, to extend a giant middle finger back at the Celtics. That's what <laughs> he was doing. Well, they're extending it. I know that. Uh, I know. <laughs> don't have to get no, we're not into getting into that. That's for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> middle fingers all around. Middle fingers yeah. all around. Yeah. yeah so, Okay, I guess you're saying that the Wizards have no chance in the Eastern Conference Finals <laughs> against the Cavs. All right, I don't then. think they've got a great one. I don't think anybody does. No, I yeah. know. I know. I'm just saying. I think the Wizards are going to win this series. but um, Of course you do. I, I think didn't... the Celtics are going to win because they have home court. I they, Hey, I picked against the Wizards in a lot of playoff series over the years. <laughs> no, I know, but I can tell, Mike. I, I've known you long enough that you like you. They have they did something for you in those two games where you were like you are you are in now. I get that. Like, I'm not saying that you're a shill or anything like that or that you're like, you know, just like on the Wizards bandwagon regardless. But I I can tell a change in you from from when you went out there to when to when uh, to to now that that you were you were mighty impressed by what you saw. It's it's real, Paul. No, I mean, I'm I'm telling you, like, I have heard the negativity. I've heard Mike shoot for the (laughs) under on the overall season over unders in the beginning of the year. I've heard Mike pick against them in playoff series over the course of this podcast. This is by far the most confident, specifically because it's a coin toss series, two very evenly matched teams. Which I've makes never seen laugh. this. It makes me laugh. <laughs> this is the Wizards we're talking about. Uh, no, hey, but like I said, things are changing. <laughs> things are changing. For once, they have a team worth uh, keeping together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just John Wall is such an incredible player. Oh, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Great. Incredible he's great. I just, player. I just, I just want them to have a bench that doesn't vomit all over itself whenever they get in the yeah game. well that's true too um <laughs> that's a problem um but hey i don't know i mean they're they're like one shot away from being up 3-1 so that that makes me think that they have outplayed the Celtics so far and we'll just have to see if they finish the job <laughs> i've seen i've seen way too many celtic series over the years where teams have said that yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like <laughs> I mean, and i know this is a different team but you know things happen when you play in the garden it's true. It's true. So that, that definitely happened to them in game one and two. Like, and they are a high energy take take a kind of off the home crowd type of team. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's definitely true. Like it was loud in game two. Let's, let's just be honest. It's an emotional series. There's a lot of emotion that comes from the off the court components of this with with Isaiah, and that was you know front and center for those first two games. Um, the crowd was trying to lift up the spirits of their favorite player, of their best player, and and that was that was cool to see from a, a fan perspective. But also now it's this is a real series. It's two two. What next you will game, get on Wednesday night, you will get a, yeah. you will get a hockey crowd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They will be out for blood. Yep. And it will be lusty and it will be a little bit dangerous. And I actually don't even like this. It's it's (laughs) like they they take it to an edge sometimes that makes me uncomfortable. Um, But, yeah, it will be it will be a hockey crowd. Just don't bring your three-year-old, you know. There is no way in hell (laughs) to do a sporting event. Trust me. (laughs) Well, you will be there, right? Uh, 
That's a really great question, Mike. Um, uh, Some jackass booked a 7 a.m. flight on Thursday morning to Chicago for the combine. So Mm. that's a game time decision. Game time decision. Well, I will be at game six. Okay. um, That is for sure. And that will be quite an interesting atmosphere. And so it's a what, Tuesday, game five, Thursday, game six? Wednesday, Friday. Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah, Friday. They screwed okay. them on that Sunday start, so that now they're getting extended on the back end. It's really ridiculous. Right. Yeah. You're right. They started the series maybe two days too early, and now they're extending it once everyone wants to just play the games. That's By great. the way, do you know how long we would have between game six and seven? No. Two days. Two days. It's oh, a two Sunday, days. right? Yeah. It would, game seven would be Monday. Oh, that's right. Oh, two full days off. Two full yeah. days. <laughs> wow. Oh, good. I have Mother's. Now I can hang. Now I can enjoy Mother's Day. So that's good. <laughs> Get ready for it. I'm telling you, it's nice. going to be a disaster. Very cool. Well, what we should do here is uh, let this play out. We'll let this get to the seven inevitable games. Uh, I'm just kidding, Mike. Mike has this whole like thought process in his head, which is Wizards pick off game five and then oh, cruise in game I've six. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard it. I, mean, they're not, I don't think they're going to win game seven in Boston. So that's kind of their path to winning sure, the series. Sure. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, cool. Cool. I was going to make an, uh, an, uh, an analogy earlier about your uh, Raptors um, – Maple Leafs thing because a lot of times the NBA franchise gets the shorter end of the stick in those relationships. Mike just saw how that works in, in D.C. for a good period of time up until that changed. And I, I got to watch that happen in Philadelphia for the longest time with Ed Schneider, who was uh, running Comcast. Are you to say that Mr. Baldwin didn't care about the basketball team? <laughs> Anyone in Philly knows what I'm talking about. Yes, um, yes, 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 of course. Um, no, no, I mean, the Bruins own the building. The yeah, Bruins that's the, true. The Bruins own the garden, which is why, you know, the Celtics sometimes don't always get the great dates. Right, um, right. Yeah. And that's why it looks like a hockey arena because it is. Yeah. I mean, the thing in Philadelphia, though, at the time was that Ed Snyder let Billy King, you know, off to his own. Uh, and that's not the right guy to leave to just make decisions, you know, willy nilly. Yeah, Ed we Snyder's know. never given a shit about basketball. I'm sorry. No. It's never no, given. It's no. never cared. Where's his SB Nation? We can curse. Yeah, has, yeah, yeah. Has never cared about the basketball yeah. team. And no, he, he sold it. Yep. That's right. That's, that's a right. story for another time. That's right. That's right. And how that gets compounded in, in a place like Toronto, that's a market that can facilitate two NHL teams, let alone one that they have who's been unsuccessful. Plus, they just did the whole rebuild. Like you said, they have one of the best coaches. They have one of the best young players. So there's a way that you can frame this where the even if Toronto gets swept here, even if they do blow up the team, that the city survives. But you can tell how important the Raptors have become to the sports infrastructure uh, of the city. Well, the other way to look at it is that the Raptors – are just going to be the cash cow that funds the Maple yeah, Leafs. That's so true. Just, it, it could go anyway. The Raptors gave the Maple Leafs cover. Yeah, exactly. And now it's sort of time for the you know the shoes on the other foot or the skates right. on the other on the other on the other. Feet. <laughs> yeah, all oh, right on. Yeah. Is there the best? So I love yeah, them. I, I feel bad even like making but fun of the Canadians. The blades on it. Awesome. They're awesome. Yeah. When you've seen Mounties <laughs> in person, they're awesome. <laughs> By the way, it's the blades on the other skate, I think, is what we were looking <laughs> yeah. for. Uh, right on. Okay, I'll stop doing the right on thing. That's, uh, <laughs> that's just a hackneyed way of talking about Canadians. But uh, cool. Paul, thanks for uh, joining us, man. We appreciate you taking the time today, man. No problem. And so you're off to Chicago for the yeah, Combine for the coming combine. up. Any, anything else big coming up that we should know about, that I know about, that the world should know about? Dude, I don't know anything. Um, I, you know, I was trying to figure out a way, like, how I'm going to deal with the conference finals, if they are if they start in Cleveland or if they're in Boston or if they're in Washington or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, yeah, man, this is, this is the playoffs. Yes. That's this right. is what happens. <laughs> that's right. You just roll with the punches and you end up in one Midwest city after another. It's great. That's right. As long as I can fly direct on JetBlue, I'm living right. 
<laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. We look look for Paul's Sunday shoot around on LeBron James. Uh, also, listen to Paul's podcast with John Gonzalez, the Driving Kick uh, Podcast. Which may or may not happen this week. Oh, by the way, so one thing I'll throw out there, Mike, that I really enjoyed doing for this week's Sunday shoot around. I followed these seven steps from the time Isaiah Thomas got drafted to um, being a becoming a, a star. And which included, you know, this weirdo salary cap dump that led to LeBron, which included which included it had lottery ramifications and this, that and the other. Um, The whole how Isaiah traveled from Sacramento is the last pick taken after. But do you know who the two guys who two guys were taken directly before Isaiah Thomas? Can One you, of them was was the fake Qatarian player, guy right? Gombo, who may or may not even <laughs> exist, and the immortal Choo Choo Mandabom. Oh, Choo Choo. Oh, yeah, nice. Choo Choo. Uh, two great NBA names drafted ahead of Isaiah Thomas. Um, so I enjoyed doing that. It was, it was sort of like flow charty. Everybody should check that out because um, that was a lot of fun. So right. the team that drafted him was, on the, uh, was not on the Choo Choo train, I guess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Best pick the Kings ever made that they then proceeded to screw up anyway. Yeah, and and the beauty of it that the fact that he touched another uh, much maligned franchise in Phoenix, who could probably use a guy like him as well. Uh, lots of good stuff to follow there for sure. So we uh, appreciate that, uh, Paul. And then uh, we'll have you on after the uh, Celtics have solidified that number one draft pick, so we can talk about the future of the organization. As long as I, the, the better they get, the less I have to travel, and that's good. For me. <laughs> and everyone's happy. Awesome, cool, Paul. Thanks again, Mike. As always, I'm Ben, and this is the Limited Upside Podcast. 